Each week, the Bible as Literature podcast brings you in-depth discussion of the biblical text in a format short enough for your morning commute, but long enough to be substantive, posing difficult questions meant to keep you engaged. If you value this work, please consider donating as little as 25 cents per episode. That's just $1 per month. To learn more, please visit patreon.com forward slash Bible. That's p-a-t-r-e-o-n dot com forward slash Bible. Thank you. Hi, this is Father Mark Bulos with the Bible as Literature podcast. Christians who should be concerned with following God's commandments are more often preoccupied with explaining why their church or denomination is the true pearl. At a time when our country is itself devolving into tribal factions, the consequence of this hubris is keenly felt. Fortunately, in the parables of the kingdom found in Matthew's Gospel, the one who presumes that he is from the right tribe soon learns that he himself must be read into the kingdom through instruction so that the people of all tribes, both old and new, may dwell together under the Lord's tent. Richard and I discuss the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 13, verses 49 to 52. You're listening to the Bible as literature. This is Father Mark Bulos. And this is Dr. Richard Benton. And you are listening to episode 308 of the Bible as Literature podcast. Last week we talked about the <laughs> unmarketability of a kingdom in which your citizenship requires that you lose everything. But beyond that, we talked about how the pearl, the treasure, is not your community. This is critical, and I think at the end when we talked about the three parables and the way they present the treasure you're seeking, which is the wisdom contained in Scripture, the one seeking it, and again, the thing you use to seek the kingdom, which is Scripture. So you have this beautiful triptych, as we discussed, that involves the study of Scripture by an individual who's seeking that wisdom, it's tempting for people to say, aha, don't you mean the church? But just because Matthew knows that's exactly what you're going to say, we have this beautiful section, verses 49 to 52, that once again present us with the judgment, which is extremely uncomfortable here, and then shows you how a scribe, one learned in God's teaching, is himself not necessarily a disciple of the kingdom. You would think that one on the inside would be from this community that is supposed to represent the kingdom on earth, which is a false paradigm. You would think that he would already be a disciple of the kingdom, but he's not until he hears the Gospel of Matthew and understands. This is precisely why Jesus gave three examples and not a single example of what the kingdom of heaven is. Like we said before, the kingdom of heaven is the thing that's sought, it's the one who seeks it, and it's the means for seeking it. The church is not necessarily all three of those things. 
if it's not seeking the correct thing, and if it isn't filled with people seeking that thing, and if they're not using the correct means for seeking it, then it's not the kingdom of heaven. This is why Jesus gave three. If it's only about people seeking, okay, fine, then it can just be the one parable. But as soon as you conflate all three parables, then you can do with it whatever you want. The three examples are essential for understanding what this is. If it is the kingdom of heaven, it is people who are seeking the correct thing by the correct means. And Scripture is the only blueprint you have for this. Scripture is the essential aspect for acquiring the kingdom of heaven. But there is no kingdom of heaven without people seeking it. It has to have citizens, but it has to be citizens who are obedient to the word, using the word in order to glean this wisdom. All three of these are essential. If you leave out a part or if you conflate them into one, then you've misunderstood what the kingdom of heaven is. And Father, I've been so grateful that we've been able to spend this time really trying to unpack what Jesus, all the way back to John the Baptist, have been trying to teach about the centrality of the kingdom of heaven. A group of people is a mob, and mobs are a problem. They are a problem in the gospel, and they are a problem in human history. And they have a part to play always in tyranny. But a mob doesn't write a book. A community doesn't produce a podcast. Individuals do. A community doesn't feed the poor. Individuals choose to get in their car and drive to the homeless shelter and cook a meal or hand out a gift. A group of people... A community doesn't help the homeless. Individuals do. Even when your parish has a meal, you can't say the parish made the meal. That's baloney. Specific individuals made the meal. We want to say the community because we're all philosophical theologians. And we think about it in an abstract sense, and then we perfect it in our minds, which is the only place it exists and the only place it could ever be perfect. So please remember that we're talking about a merchant, an individual. Now you may ask why, when we are so critical of individualism, that we're talking about individuals. Because the individual gives their life for the sake of the common good, for the upbuilding of the flock, for the care of God's field, so that the wheat would not be lost for the next generation. But the individual is responsible to respond to the imperative of Scripture, which is a commandment, but not for their own sake. Again, this critique of marketing is critical because you don't obey the gospel to get something from it for yourself. You obey the gospel because you are commanded to do so. And the agenda of the commandment, Rich, as we were discussing this morning on the phone, the agenda of the commandment is to provide life for the generation yet unborn. So tell me, what fruit are you going to reap in the final verses of Habakkuk? Where is the hope if you yourself can't partake of the fruit? That is the challenge of Scripture. It's the importance of the individual, but it is identity that causes the problem.
If I am an individual and I abdicate my identity for the sake of the common good, for the sake of the generation yet unborn, not my great-grandchildren, but my neighbor's great-grandchildren, then I can function correctly as an individual, but I have to give up my identity. And that's a subtle point, Father, and I'm really happy you brought this up, because if I don't give up what is important to me, but seek the kingdom and seek it with everything I have and am willing to sell everything I have and give up everything I have so that I can acquire that, all those things that are me, my identity, that's precisely what I have to give up if I'm going to seek this kingdom. And that's why these parables work. If your church is for you, it's not the church of God, period. And that's a bitter pill for American Christians because everyone I talk to wants to have a church that they will like and enjoy. That's fine. You can have it. But don't claim that it's the church of God. No way. Let's talk about what Scripture says. So it will be at the end of the age, the angels will come forth and take out the wicked from among the righteous and will throw them into the furnace of fire. In that place, there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. And I'm sorry to say that in 2019, they won't teach this at the university, not because they don't believe in God, but because they can no longer handle anything uncomfortable. I have news for you. Praise the Lord. The gospel can't be censored. Thankfully, American censors can't read Greek or Hebrew, so we still have a chance. So if anyone thought that this fishing expedition was about the church, you can tell that it's not because in the end, there's going to be some that are going to be thrown into the furnace of fire. So if it is the church, okay, fine, you can say it's the church, but realize that there's parts of the church that are going to be burned. In the same way, there's parts of the university, there's parts of the State Department, and there's part of the DMV that are going to be cast into the furnace of fire. So in that way, your church may or may not be different from any other institution. Any institution, though, that is seeking the kingdom of heaven by individuals who are using the correct means— then maybe you have a church, but it may not be in the walls that you think it should be contained in. Have you understood all these things? They said to him, yes. And my advice to everyone listening is that if Jesus threatens you with the furnace of fire and the weeping and gnashing of teeth, and then asks you to confirm that you got the message, be very afraid. You have no choice. You have to say yes. It's an offer you can't refuse. But in saying yes, you condemn yourself. Father, when Jesus asked this question, it's a lose-lose situation. Did you understand all these things? <laughs> well, you can say yes, and he's going to show you that you didn't. Or you can say no, and he's going to say it again anyway. So whenever he says, did you understand these things, it means he's going to explain more afterwards. Verse 51 is nasty on the heels of verse 50. That's all I have to say. And Jesus said to them, therefore... Every scribe who has become a disciple of the kingdom of heaven is like a head of household who brings out of his treasure things new and old. I once again despise the censorship that takes place in Scripture. Nobody wants to talk about despots and nobody wants to talk about slaves because we rightly hate despots and despise slavery, but we don't know how to handle and dispose of the issue of tyranny. 
God bless the Egyptian students who overturned tyranny in their country, but they failed because they accepted the lie that it's possible to have a community without an organizing principle. They overthrew the tyrant in their country and then had this naive idealism that you can have a society without structure. They didn't need a head. And so someone stepped in to fill the vacuum and Egypt is back where it started. There is something going on in scripture with respect to tyranny, but Western idealism doesn't cut it. It won't work. You have to deal with hierarchy the way Paul does, which is why when it says, as head of household, you can't edit it out with your watered down language. We are talking about masters and slaves in the Bible, and that reflects the actual situation of life and the way things work in human society. Along those lines, the translation that you used, it says, who's become a disciple, which sounds like just a process of self-realization, when in fact in Greek it's, is taught. That means that they are the object of someone else's teaching, which means that they receive the teaching. And some manuscripts even say, are taught into the kingdom of heaven. Like we say in English, read into certain knowledge if you gain a certain rank of security clearance in the government. You're read into this kingdom. So if you're a scribe, which means you know scripture, and you're taught into the kingdom of heaven, which I just think is a beautiful phrase because that's the only way of entering the kingdom of heaven is being taught into it, then you now have this treasure that you always had, just like the Jews as they're described in Romans, of the scriptures. But if you are read into the kingdom of heaven, which means that you are a person who's seeking the correct thing using the correct means, the kingdom of heaven is a reality in the people searching for the correct thing by the correct means. I can't help but think of Father Paul's discussion this week, Richard, of the tent of Shem and how Japheth entered under the tent of Shem and how the tent now is bringing in other people under its roof. Just as the kingdom in the triptych of parables consists of the treasure which is God's wisdom and the person seeking the treasure, so too what's new and old consists of God's wisdom, that's the treasure that brings together people who were here before and people who are not yet included. And by included, I mean have the opportunity to hear the instruction that is the treasure of the tent in the wilderness. You have a scribe who you would presume is on the inside, the way that Christians presume that they're in the kingdom because they joined their church. You have someone who operates on this false presumption of identity, tribe, and a worldly understanding of sonship in the line of Abraham. You have this one who has to be instructed into the kingdom and who now brings out of the abundance of that instruction in his household a gathering that includes the old and new members. But it's not the church per se as an institution. It's the tent of meeting in the wilderness, which can include people who look nothing like you 
don't come from the same place that you come from, comprised not of people who are members and not members of your church. It's comprised of anyone in God's field, whatever their religion, whatever tribe they come from, whatever their identity, it doesn't matter. It's comprised of anyone who accepts the call of the very teaching that, in your words, Richard, was used to read in the one who presumed already that he was an insider. He has to be taught that the tent in the wilderness is not his tent, and then he can be brought under it. Thanks very much, Dr. Benton. Thank you, Father. You've just heard the Bible as literature. Thanks for listening. The Bible as Literature is a production of the Ephesus School Network.